Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. We are back for another episode of The Places Where We Go, and today we visit Liverpool, England, and this is going to be our last full review of a city that we visited on our trip to the UK. We did have to uh, go to Manchester in order to leave England because of how flights work for us, but Manchester was only kind of a stop. Kind of an afternoon. On the way out. Yeah, Yeah. so this was our last full immersion in a city. Even with that was basically a day that we spent in Liverpool. Yeah, an exciting day. I enjoyed it. So the reason we went there is you were doing genealogy for probably a number of years before we even took this trip. And then one of the things that I learned was when my dad left Europe in the mid 1940s, where he departed from was from Liverpool. So just knowing that one nugget, I thought, hey, if we're going to be in the UK, it might be neat to see the place from where he departed Europe and let's go visit there. So that's how it ended up on the itinerary. Mm -hmm. But then when we were in England, one of the places that we visited and talked about on a prior podcast was a place called the Trenchard Museum on the grounds of RAF Halton. And when we talked to the docent there, he, I think, reminded me or helped to fill in some more blanks that basically it was not only in Liverpool that my dad left Europe, but it was Liverpool where he arrived in England. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's European, he's Polish, but because of the war ended up on this crazy journey. The family is refugees being moved from Poland to Russia, from Russia to Middle East including Palestine, and then from Palestine as a young boy of, what was it, 13, 14 years 13 old? 13 or 14, yeah. Yeah. a baby. Boarded a ship with his brother, no mom, no dad, sailed around the Cape of Africa to Liverpool, mm-hmm. where they would then, he and his brother would then join kind of a branch of the military there at RAF Halton as part mm-hmm. of a Polish contingent. So having this family history, that was the draw for at least getting a flavor of Liverpool. Liverpool has and still has a connection to a port city. They thrive and live and get most of their economics from this port city that they live in. So I could see why Liverpool was the destination at that time, because it was a a major port during that time when your dad went over Mm -hmm. and, and your uncle and maybe Eddie. We don't know exactly how Eddie got there, too. Another one of the brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Liverpool has a population of just under half a million. So it's not very large as far as population goes. It's the sixth most visited city in the UK, and it has many museums and galleries and buildings, historic buildings and parks all over the city. And as we all know, it is the beginnings of the Beatles. It also is the home to one of the oldest ethnic communities in the UK, And in fact, the oldest Chinese community in Europe. So that's quite a long, long history. The natives of Liverpool are formally referred to as Liverpoolians, but are more often called Scousers. It's a reference from a stew made popular by the sailors in the city, and it became the most common name for the local accent and dialect there. Yeah, well, so one of the things, and I I think I started to learn about this from a gentleman that I work with who hails from the UK, that seems that people in Liverpool almost have their own language, if if you would. So they, they have these very interesting terms to refer to 
all kinds of things. I don't, I don't have a list of them, but it's just like when you go there to a certain extent, it's almost like you're hearing a different language and you have to... Well, it's, it was definitely different when we arrived there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you instantly had a sense that not only was the dialect different, it was a little bit harder to understand. Mm-hmm. And the whole feel of the place was different yeah. from where we had come from. Yeah, from London, from Somerset. Yeah. It also has a UNESCO designation that we always get excited about and are always looking for. So Liverpool's waterfront was granted this status from UNESCO in 2004, in July of 2004. The World Heritage Site stretches along Liverpool's waterfront from the Albert Dock through the Pier Head and up to the Stanley Dock. Yeah, so it's basically that whole waterfront waterfront area. area, Which we, I think we walked the whole thing at one point. Yeah, we did. So that was exciting for us because we always like to find these designations and step in it, walk in it, mm-hmm. be a part of it. So we like, yeah. you know, that's so, always fun. Yeah, given that they had this huge maritime history and the importance of shipping and trade, that was part of what I think what came together for their UNESCO designation. Yeah. And this waterfront in Liverpool also became the home of the Cunard and the White Star Lines, which are still running today. And had some famous ships, mm-hmm. including the RMS Titanic, yes, the RMS Lusitania, and a ship that has been ported in our home area, Southern California, for as long as I can remember. Which, which we visited. Yeah, several times, I think. Yeah. The RMS Queen Mary little fun fact. We always like those fun facts. Mm-hmm. The origins of the name Liverpool comes from the Old English liffer, meaning thick or muddy water. And when you walk that waterfront, that becomes very evident yeah. because it does look very muddy. And pole, meaning pool or creek. And this was first recorded around 1190, so many, many centuries ago. According to the Cambridge Dictionary of English Place Names, the original reference was to a polar tidal creek now filled up into which two streams drained. So there you have the origin of the town name. And we'll turn now to how we got there. So I don't know how many people who are outside of the UK would go to Liverpool first. I think probably what's common is kind of like what we did. We found ourselves in London And it was from London that we made our way to Liverpool. And obviously this was a mistake, but I had made the uh, determination in my mind that to get from, you know, London to Liverpool, we would just make our way to the biggest train station, which I knew Paddington was one of the biggest stations. And that was fairly close to where we were staying in London. So the day it came time to uh, make that journey... We walked over, or I guess made our way to the Paddington Station. Which I'm glad we did, because we did get that famous picture of the Paddington Bear statue. Yeah, so that was on our list of things things to yes. do while we were there. <laughs> so that was the first order of business, find the little Paddington Bear, which we did, and mm-hmm. got all kinds of photos. So that was fun. And then the next order of business was to get a ticket to get on a train to Liverpool. And lo and behold, we learned you cannot get to Liverpool from Paddington Station. So we were advised to get to a place called Euston Station, E-U-S-T-O-N. So we headed off to that nearby train station. Which was not too hard because it's off the tube. Yeah, so fairly close. And immediately were put in this position of having to make a decision of eeny, meeny, miny, mo. which train do we want to take? So there was the regular train, which I think was going to take about four hours to get from London to Liverpool. And we were also told there was a more expensive train that would get us there quicker. And our initial decision was, well, we'll just take the regular train. Well, yeah, I think we tend to think of how we can save money And as we were waiting there, I think we were both kind of pondering, was that the right decision to make? As you said those words, you know, did Uh, we make the right choice? I immediately interpreted that as, no, we didn't. So I uh, quickly ran over to the ticket office. Ran? You abandoned me. I know, but because we were, I think the, the train that we had tickets for was only about 20 minutes away. So I'm waiting there for you mm-hmm. as you walked away, and I'm thinking you're going to be back pretty quick. I was hoping. And I'm watching 
as the train line that we had tickets for was getting closer and closer and closer, and I still didn't know where you were, so I was getting a little nervous. And in my head, I was thinking there was a terrorist there that we had ran into on our way in that was going to uh, create chaos, and I was going to be all alone, and you weren't there to help me. Yeah, so before we before we walked into the station, there was a crazy man oh, he's who, um, who was threatening acts of violence, so we were a little on edge yeah, in the station. Yeah, so, I mean, the whole time in the station was, there was an anxiety about it. Uh, and I don't know if it was so much this man, but there was a lot of other confusion. So I found myself back at the ticket office and approached the lady at the counter to see if I can exchange our tickets for what I call the super go fast train. And through her annoyance and grouchiness, eventually, you know, I end up with minutes to spare before the other train arrives with new tickets in our hand. And at that point, I had found you already too, because I knew the direction you went in. So I went to go look for you. So we're reconnected. I've got two tickets to get us from London to Liverpool in about two hours and board the train we did. And I'm really glad we made that decision because we only had the afternoon and the next morning to spend in Liverpool. So time was precious. So it was well worth the money. And it was nice to get there in a two hour time frame. We're on the train and mostly, you know, we're looking at English countryside, you know, know, pretty nice landscape. The disparity wasn't that much, was it? Between the tickets? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it was that much. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. So one of the takeaways is when when you're a tourist and you have limited time somewhere, it's probably the right decision and worth it to upgrade for things like that, you know, to get to a place quicker so you have more time to explore. We landed in Liverpool just about noon on a Saturday afternoon. And as you said, immediately we kind of felt a different vibe. It had a very, once we got off the train, a very historic feel. There were several buildings that seemed very old, very well kept Mm -hmm. too. It it had a nice feel to it. Yeah, kind of reminded me of like very early 20th century architecture that was preserved very nicely. Very well and intermixed with it was more modern buildings Mm -hmm. too, but it didn't seem to take away from the old feeling of the city. And I thought it was fairly clean. Yeah, as far I did as too. Compared to some of the cities where we live, it was spotless. <laughs> yeah, true. But, that, but that's a story for another true. day. So we, we get off the train and we start to head towards our lodging. Mm-hmm. We're looking for our lodging. And immediately, I think you made the same observation. It's like immediately we're hearing this different dialect mm-hmm. and very heavy and very hard to understand and I loved it I thought it was great yeah you had to just kind of listen a little more attentively and I think the longer you're there it's not that hard to start to understand what they're saying but I think there's certain things that they say that have meaning that we don't understand so that makes a little difficult so I think it was a 10 minute walk from the train station to the hotel and then from the hotel probably no more than 10 minutes to our first destination, which was the Merseyside Maritime Museum. So the reason that this also ended up on the list was in doing some research before we arrived in Liverpool, it seemed that this might be a place where I could get some sense of that history to connect with my dad's journey, which has also been mentioned on some prior shows that we've done. And I was just looking for puzzle pieces to this story of this young boy who found himself in England, you know, didn't know the language, landed there in 1943. I think it was 1948 when he left. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we were hoping that this museum would give us some clues. One of the things we learned about is that they have an archives office. And I was hopeful that we would be able to stop in there and talk to somebody who runs the archives. But it turned out that when we were there, the archives office was closed on Saturday, at least the Saturday that we were there. So while I am one person with one story of this connection to Liverpool, the thing that we learned in in this museum is there are millions of people who passed through the ports of Liverpool either to get to the UK, many, many more who left from the UK. And there's these, again, millions of stories 
that take root at the docks of Liverpool. Mm -hmm. So, you know, somebody listening to this may have a family history themselves where they're in the United States, who knows, your relatives may have come over here on a ship that departed from Liverpool. So Mm -hmm. going there and seeing this area has something to offer for many, many, many people. A few notes about the museums. So the first very important note, and we were pleased to see this, entrance to the museum costs absolutely nothing. It is entirely free. No pounds are needed to get in through the front door. So we got inside and they had a pretty very well-rounded grouping of exhibits. Mm -hmm. So they had some that talked about the border and customs and how goods were either how they made their way through the ports, how certain contraband was seized. There was a whole gallery on emigration. Again, many people's lives, they found themselves needing to leave either to try to escape poverty, persecution, or some just had ambition for something greater. So there were thousands and thousands of people, many children even. Some of these children ended up making voyages by themselves out of Liverpool. Mm -hmm. There was exhibits of several famous ships. We saw some exhibits about the Titanic, the Lusitania, which was torpedoed with passengers aboard. So that has a very um, tragic story to it. The museum also had a replica, I was really glad to see this, of the the ship, the Empress of France. And that's the one that my dad sailed on mm-hmm. from Liverpool to Montreal in 1948. So it was neat to see uh, at least the model of that. Mm-hmm. And then we there was an exhibit there or some displays about the Battle of the Atlantic. And this is the, the thing that was stunning to me. So... Once again, you know, as a kid, I heard these stories of my dad's, you know, this incredible journey and knowing that how he got to England was, you know, sailing around the Cape of Africa mm-hmm. through the waters of the Atlantic and then During up to Liverpool. Wartime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, there was all these maps on the walls that mm-hmm. showed where the German ships were, where there were ships taken the down. U-boats. Yeah, the fact that my dad as a kid made it Mm -hmm. without his ship getting blown up, that was a miracle. When you think about when this happened, everything that was going on in the seas. And I think not until our visit to this museum did I get that part of the, how that part of the story was so perilous. I don't think we know, but the... Ships, obviously, when going into these perilous waters, would not just take a straight line. They would be zigzagging all Mm -hmm. over the place. So they would not be torpedoed or uh, it would be harder to find them. When the Germans use their capabilities to find ships, I guess it's harder if the ship is zigzagging. So it must have taken a tremendous amount of time to go around that cape coming from Palestine all the way around the Cape into Liverpool. Yeah, I'm sure it was weeks on the boat. Uh, it must have been an immense amount of time. Yeah. And that's a long time to be on a boat, especially for a child. So there's an immense amount of people and family stories out there who have a connection to their journeys passing through Liverpool, passing through the docks. Highly, highly recommend if you find yourself in Liverpool, my number one pick for something to do in this town would be to visit the Merseyside Maritime Museum. I think you could probably do it justice in about an hour or two. You know, I think two hours, you'll get a very nice flavor for what it has to offer. You might even see if you go there, if there's any special programs or any guided tours being made available, but I'm very glad that we made that visit. I am too. It was it was very nice. We also went to the Liverpool Museum, which is also on that dock area. We just decided to stop in. We thought maybe there could be information there too. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of came in and lo and behold, entrance to this museum is also free. Yeah. Can't beat that. Yeah, And so, yeah, there's a lot of museums in Liverpool where you can get in for free. So there yeah. you go. So the museum is the world's first national museum that's devoted to the history of the regional city, and it demonstrates Liverpool's unique contribution to the world. We kind of wandered about. There wasn't really anything we were 
looking for specifically yeah, other we, we than, just kind of went from exhibit to exhibit yeah other than like, was there any puzzle pieces to this journey connected to my family yeah and it wasn't large very interesting i love seeing anything that has to do with a city's history mm-hmm. but you know when you're in the city it is a way to kind of make that city comes alive yep and you can you can start looking at the city differently. And it had a lot of history of the docks. That is, again, one of the major ports. And it had so much activity for a very decades and decades and decades. It apparently still does. But during wartime, there were many, many, many ships coming in and out of, of that port. It had a mix of exhibits that also included the history of the people of Liverpool and the things that you would find, you know, a hundred years ago and what it looked like then. And that that's always fascinating to me. It also included a stage where, you guessed it, John Lennon and Paul McCartney first met. Ben Johnson's Liverpool cityscape a life-size liver bird, and I will discuss liver bird as we get a little bit further down. The first Ford Anglia from Ford's Halewood production line, and Chris Boardman's famous Lotus sport bike. Mm-hmm. So all, a variety of things that yeah. would fascinate people of all ages. Yeah, so I think you could also probably spend at least a good hour or more at this museum. Yeah, you could, absolutely. I think we were in there for less than an hour. Could have stayed longer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we had somewhere to go, but it seemed like we kind of scooted out of well, there pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, we had, we had a limited time in Liverpool, so I yeah. think we were just on an adventure to try to soak up as much as we could on a Saturday afternoon and a little bit on what would be Sunday morning because that's all the time we had. Yeah. Yeah. So we headed out of there and we were back on the uh, Royal Albert Dock. Again, the Royal Albert Dock is part of the UNESCO area. We just took some time to get some photos and I think I just tried to soak up the sense of being there. And it was kind of my last opportunity on this visit to kind of get that feeling of my family footsteps on my dad's side. Just kind of that time to look out at the water and know that it was somewhere on those docks that my dad would have been on a ship that brought him into Liverpool. And then somewhere on those same docks where the Empress of France would have left for a journey to Montreal, Canada and a whole new life that would take part for the rest of his life in North America. Mm-hmm. On the Royal Albert's dock was a what they call the Royal Liver Building. And on top of this building was the picture of this bird. It was uh, a sculpture. Sculpture, yeah. Of this bird. Very impressive when you looked at it. And yeah, we didn't know what it was. Attention grabbing. Yeah, it definitely caught your attention because we look, We took pictures of it. <laughs> Seemed like something you'd see in a Batman movie or something. I yeah, mean, yeah. It, was, it was very interesting. So I had mentioned before liver birds. So this is the symbol that largely dates to 1911 when this building was built. It rekindled the idea that these liver birds, which was a mythical bird, once haunted the local shoreline. Here we go with these hauntings again. Mm -hmm. You find it everywhere. The male and the female pair, according to the legend, the female looking out to sea and looking for her seamen to return safely, and the male looking over the city, watching over the seamen's families, and of course, making sure the pubs are open, you know, as they have to put in their little segments to the legend and make it uh, popular to the seamen. little fun. Yeah. So that's the legend of these liver birds. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't get to Liverpool without taking in a bit of Beatles history, because I think when you say the city name Liverpool to somebody and say, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I bet you most people will say the Beatles. So a ton of Beatles history in this city, and this is where the story started. So after we left the docks, we headed into the city streets and made our way to the site of the Cavern Club, which is where the four lads who were known as the Beatles would craft their act. 
and change the course of popular music. So I think you'll be missing something if you get to Liverpool and don't make a trip to Matthew Street, which is where you're going to see this history. And this is where the group had its early footprint. So much of their early playing in Liverpool before they ever achieved any kind of worldwide fame, before they had the recordings that we all came to know and love, were these performances at the Cavern Club. And today, so my understanding is when, when we were there, there is the site of what would have been the original Cavern Club, which is close to, but not exactly the same spot where the current Cavern Club is located. Mm-hmm. So I think they're within steps of each other. Mm-hmm. So today there is a Cavern Club that you can go to. There's live music that starts there every day at 11.15 a.m. And when we were walking through these streets, it was a little bit to me like being in New Orleans and just that there was music everywhere. That You had street musicians playing Beatles songs. There was music coming out of clubs. It was loud. It was festive. Mm-hmm. You know, people were having definitely a good time. One of the places you may want to go to if you have the time is actually go inside the Cavern Clubs because you'll get a little bit more history in there. The Beatles' first performance at the Cavern Club included John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Stuart Sutcliffe, and a gentleman named Pete Best on drums. So this is even before the Ringo Starr days. August 3rd of 1963 would mark the last of 292 performances that the Beatles gave at the Cavern Club. So they honed their act through hundreds of performances here. Alongside with some other Cavern regulars, some names that might be familiar, Jerry and the Pacemakers, the Searchers, the Swinging Blue Jeans, and the Mercy Beats. All of these bands led a Liverpudlian takeover of British pop. And you also have a museum in the area called The Beatles Story, which you can also visit and soak up some more Beatles history if that's what you want to get from your visit to Liverpool. Along those lines, closer to the docks and near the Merseyside Museum, is a statue of the Beatles, and it's a very popular statue with the Beatles fans. So you can get a nice photo next to that statue if you're a real big Beatles fan, or just for the nostalgia of being in Liverpool. Mm -hmm. A little bit on the history of the statue, it was on a Friday, December 4th, 2015, that this statue was unveiled in front of the Cunard building. The sculpture was donated to the city by the Cavern Club, and has been a must-visit location for Beatles fans from all over the world. We had taken our photo there. Somebody mm-hmm. graciously took a photo with us both in it. Yeah, it was kind of fun. It was a lot of fun to have that. It weighs over a ton, and it was unveiled by John Lennon's sister, Julia Bard, and the deputy mayor of Liverpool at the time, Councillor Anne O'Brien. So Julia said... I am honored to be unveiling this statue in our wonderful city of Liverpool. It stands in loving memory of the best band in the world, the band that leapt from the cavern stage to worldwide recognition. The timing reflected the 50 years since the Beatles' final public appearance in Liverpool at the Empire on the 5th of December, 1965. I was present at the event, and I am proud to be at the unveiling. Yeah, so you'll want to definitely uh, go see that statue. I think it's a real nice depiction of them. And as we were looking at that statue, I think within steps of it, I think it was fairly close, there was another statue, and I think we first saw it from the back. And from the back, I thought it was a statue of Elvis Presley, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Why is there a statue of Elvis <laughs> Presley in Liverpool? So we go around to the front, and it turned out it is not, in fact, Elvis Presley. It turns out to be a gentleman by the name of Billy Fury. And I learned some things about Billy Fury Back during this time, he was also one of the most famous rock stars in Britain and had total record sales that were on par with Elvis and the Beatles and Cliff Richard. And he would end up dying of a fatal heart attack only at the age of 42, so in the year 1983. But he also left a mark on the city so much so that there is a statue in his Mm -hmm. honor that you can visit. Mm Mm-hmm. A little fun fact since we're talking about music. Musicians from Liverpool have produced 56 number one hit singles, and that's more representation than musicians from any other city 
in the entire world. So Liverpool has definitely made its mark on popular music history. So back into the city we go, we're walking along the streets, and we start noticing these groups of people. Women. Well, yeah, at first I wasn't sure if they were all women, so this group of people and they had a leader and they were singing and dancing and looked like they were having the best time ever. And they were everywhere. You saw them everywhere. You saw these groups all over the place. Now this was a Saturday, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So so it was a Saturday. And I look closer and yes, there are women and there's there's a gentleman leading them. And they all have some kind of Bluetooth headphones on because they're listening to the leader's instructions about what to yell out, what to say, you know, how to dance. I mean, they were just having a blast. So we're like, what in the world is this? And we figured as we kept watching that it was a huge bridal party. So this was a way that the Liverpoolians celebrate their upcoming marriages and this is the women just whooping it up and having a good time yeah, but it wasn't just one bridal party when we got off the train station we saw a group or two it's a thing there yeah as it's we were walking thing. through the town we saw more groups when we were walking to the beatles area we passed by more they were everywhere yeah i've never seen yes yeah, so, so many <laughs> bridal parties in one place at the same time so yeah. i guess it's a thing that if you're I don't know if they're all from Liverpool or if the Liverpool's a destination for bridal parties, but it, yeah, to your point, it seemed super fun. Yeah, they were having a really good time. Yeah. So another thing that we like to visit when we are traveling is to visit in historic churches, to see you know churches that have some kind of notable history in a town. And as we were in Liverpool on the weekend, we were also looking just for ourselves to attend a church on Sunday morning. And it turned out that most of the churches that were close by our hotel didn't have services available until late morning. And we had to depart Liverpool to go to Manchester. So we were looking for something early. And one that came up on the list was the Metropolitan Cathedral of Christ the King, which is um, the Catholic cathedral in Liverpool. And they had the earliest service at 8.30 a.m. So on the Sunday morning, we got up bright and early and made our way. We walked over to this particular church. Mm-hmm. And was a little surprised when we got there. It was very unusual. It was very modern. It had a very modern structure to it, one I've never seen ever before. Yeah, I think as you approach it just from the outside, it kind of reminded me of kind of like almost like the shape of a very tall crown, would you use use that description? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was interesting, but it's just not something that we were used to seeing, especially when you're going to a Western European country. So it was unusual to see. I was a little wary because I was worried that it might have a very modern liturgy too. So I was a little bit wary of that. But turned out it was okay. And as we walked in, there were some interesting history plaques in... Yeah, in the vestibule. We read those. And one of the things that we learned is before this church that exists today was built, there was a plan developed, I think a few decades even before. The original plan was that they were going to have in Liverpool what would have been the second largest cathedral in the world, second only to the Vatican. There was this grand ambition to build this magnificent church. And it was it was more of a Gothic style. It was more of the the church that we would have been familiar with in the Western European area. Yeah, so if you think about the Vatican, you think about any of the great basilicas of Italy, if you think about the uh, you know Notre Dame in France, it would have been more along those kind of styles. And I believe it was, you know, kind of long story short, funding became an issue after the war. And then the architect passed away. And then, you know, changes all of a sudden needed to come about. And I think they actually started building to plan the crypt area. And I think the crypt area is probably designed according to the original plan. But once they started building above ground, that's Mm -hmm. when plans changed. And they went from this Gothic style Mm -hmm. cathedral to what ended up being probably at the time that it was built, 
very modern style. So I think this was opened in 1967. It was completed in 1967. It was uh, the scale of the church is much smaller than the original plans um, due to money. Yeah, it's a church in the round. The lighting in it was also, I thought, kind of funky, a lot of kind of like purplish kind of lighting. So it was. It had that, that modern post Vatican II feel. We did attend Mass there on Sunday morning. And so I don't know what the custom is in England, but you know, this would have been the third church service we attended during our time in England. And the first two that we attended, the thing that struck as odd at both of them is the initial part of the liturgy would happen where you have the reading from the Old Testament, the New Testament, the the Gospel, and then it went straight into... The liturgy of the Eucharist. Right, and there was no homily. There was no homily, and we're used to homilies. (laughs) In fact, it's prescribed in what they call the the instruction of the Roman Missal that there's a homily. So the first service we attended in Cardiff, no homily. I think we looked at each other like, okay, this is strange, (laughs) but it's okay because we're on vacation, so we'll get moving quicker. The second service we attended was in Bath. Same thing happened mm-hmm. there. No homily. And then finally, when we're in Liverpool, now we get a homily. Yeah. I remember we just looked at each other. We're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. so I would love to know if somebody knows why this happens in the UK, why there sometimes are not homilies. Drop us a line at comments at the places where we go.com because I don't know why that is. It's the first time I think in my life that I've run across that and I would like to know. Anything else about the church? Well, even though they have a church in the round, that morning mass was not a lot of people were attending because it was an early mass. So they had it in a little side chapel which was really nice. I mm-hmm. mean, it kind of made it very, the community of people were not spread out and it felt more like our Catholic community. And yeah. it was nice. I really liked yeah. it. I liked the priest too. I liked what he had to say in his homily. Mm-hmm. So it was nice. Yeah. I enjoyed it. One last thing. So while we mentioned that the original plan was that this was going to be the second largest cathedral in the world and plans changed, it is still the largest Catholic church in the entire UK. Right. The size inside was immense, so it can probably, I think, probably fit a couple of thousand maybe, um, do you it think? Or? Easily, easily. It was quite large. So if you want to see the largest Catholic church in the UK, you're going to find it in the city of Liverpool. And while we only had a short time in Liverpool, we were there long enough where we had to get some bites to eat. So given that Liverpool is located on the docks of the Mercy, and we thought, hey, there's got to be all kinds of fish in the waters here, surely we're going to run into a seafood restaurant. And we were... So we went on our search. And we thought it wouldn't take long. We'll find it. Yeah, we're just going to walk a little bit to find a seafood restaurant Mm -hmm. because there has to be one here. Mm -hmm. And we walked Mm -hmm. and we walked some more and then we walked some more and we're looking everywhere for a seafood restaurant. We would end up on this Saturday afternoon. We walked 12 miles and we finally ended up almost like where we started. So we did this big loop starting from the docks, going through Matthew Street and then by the, uh, I think the old Anglican Cathedral Mm -hmm. and then walked the entire length of the water side, just looking for a restaurant and finally found a place called Cargo, which is close to where the cruise ships come and go from on the Albert docks, a little north of the Merseyside Museum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that they would finally have the seafood that we were looking for. Yeah, And And I remember being worried because we were traveling the UK with with our backpacks. So Mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of fancy clothes or anything. And as we walked in, I wondered if we, again, were underdressed. Because it seemed a little more on the upscale side. It, It was nice. It was very nice. And... They had no problem with us. Yeah. They seated us, no problem. I mean, we weren't slobs or anything. So we well, just, we just well. didn't have... We've been walking 12 miles. Yes. <laughs> so very much enjoyed the food that we had here. We had monkfish and chips for one of the entrees, and then the other one was a sea bass and chips. Very nice ambiance. You're close to the water. Mm-hmm. Great service, great atmosphere. The note at the restaurant is they say at cargo we pride ourselves on serving the best fish and seafood that you'll find in liverpool 
all fresh every morning from these shores and beyond. And where better to enjoy it than our waterfront location with breathtaking views across the River Mercy and beautiful sunset that change with the seasons. And we were there kind of around sunset, and it was nice. It was very nice. Yeah. It was and very nice. And again, it was like the only option that we found for All seafood. We could find. I bet there's others, but it just turned out that in our walking along we the, hit the, the river. Yeah, yeah, we just didn't hit a single one mm-hmm. until we got to cargo. We also went on a search for some coffee. And we decided in the general direction where to go because you had found a place in... Kind of like an outdoor mall. Like a mall area, a very large, large mall area with three levels. Mm -hmm. We headed towards this mall area. We entered into the mall area. And then we walked and walked and walked again. I think we walked every level. We just couldn't find this place. And it was kind of amazing to me that um, this place was so large and we had so much difficulty finding one coffee place, Mm -hmm. but we found it. And it was a good one. It was very good. They had chocolate there. It's the first thing I noticed. So we were looking for Cafe Thornton's. I didn't even remember the name. I didn't remember that was the name of it until I looked just now. And uh, they had some coffee cakes and chocolates lots and of chocolates lots of chocolates yeah. and other sweet items and the specialty coffees which was kind of what we were looking for it mm-hmm. wasn't just you know a cup of coffee we were looking for just a cup of joe we want a specialty coffee yes and they served it very special did they not they did you were very excited about yeah. them asking you if you wanted chocolate shavings on top and they brought out the box with all the chocolate <laughs> shavings. And so there was a nice amount of chocolate on the top of the coffee. Yeah. And then because I get a little snooty with my coffee, they not only gave us coffee, it wasn't in the paper cup that we so often get when you get to uh, these smaller coffee places. It, it came in a proper actual coffee. It was a coffee cup. mug. Yes. Co- it was very nice. A porcelain or something, huh? Yeah. And it was good. It was very good. And scones. And a scone. Oh, yes. yes. I think that was our last scone in the UK. Yeah. So if you're looking for a cup of coffee in Liverpool, we recommend Cafe Thornton's. Just remember that you got to walk in a bit and it's kind of towards the end. On the bottom floor. On the bottom floor. Yeah. For lodging in Liverpool, we ended up staying at the Ibis Styles Liverpool Centredale Street Cavern Quarter Hotel. So it's a mouthful, but... It, um, I think Hotel Ibis would probably be it for short. We only stayed there one night. I think the room was a little bit modern looking, but it was very clean. We had a very nice mm-hmm. stay there. Comfortable. They had this funky, when you walked into the lobby area on the wall, instead of works of art, there were plastered on the wall record players and radios and reel-to-reel units. And it was just like this musical art thing that they put together that I thought was kind of fun. And they had a pretty nice, we had the the breakfast buffet there on the Sunday morning that a very nice spread of all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So we we very very much enjoyed that, that hotel. It's a great location because you're just minutes away from the docks. You're minutes away from walking to Matthew Street in the Beatles Mm -hmm. area. So super location. Price was great. Mm -hmm. The rooms were clean. Recommend that as well. Liverpool is a very easy walking city. I found that you could get to things quickly and it was kind of compacted enough Mm -hmm. to where it doesn't take long for you to get to whatever destination you're getting to if you choose to walk. If you're a tourist and looking for kind of the main touristy things, they're within a a fairly short radius. Yeah. Yeah. How about some fun facts? Let's do that. So how about we talk about the passenger railway line? Liverpool had the world's first passenger railway line. It was built in 1830 from Liverpool to nearby Manchester. A local member of parliament was killed soon after in the first ever railway accident. Oh, no. Yeah, so you got some train history there. We also learned, for people who like books, Liverpool was the first city in the world to have a lending library. So they started the trend that would then make its way across the world to where we live. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. 
The Anglican Cathedral that you mentioned that we walked by on our, our loop around looking for fish, Sea. seafood, is the Liverpool's Anglican Cathedral. It is the largest in the whole of Britain and the fifth largest in the world. It was designed in 1904 by Giles Gilbert Scott. It has the world's heaviest bell and a more than 100 meter tall tower. Mm-hmm. So that's something to see. And if you like sport, let's talk about football. And we're talking about British and European football here. Liverpool is the most successful footballing city in England, home to both Liverpool and Everton. It's won 27 league championships, five European Cups, three UEFA Cups, 11 FA Cups, and on and on and on. And I think I had mentioned when we were in the UK that if I was going to adopt one of the English teams, football teams is the one I'm going to root for that it would have to be Liverpool. So again, kind of that family connection, you know, dad came into and left Liverpool. That's the team that kind of has my uh, support. And it's a good thing because they're doing pretty darn good. Oh, are they? Setting records. Yes. Very nice. So along that line, if we had more time, I think both of us would want to attend a Liverpool football club who play in the Anfield Stadium. Absolutely. So that would have been a really, really great thing to have attended if, yeah. we, if we had more time. When I think about this trip that we took to the UK, the one thing that was always on my bucket list that I thought when I go to the UK someday, and I did, but it didn't work out because football season was not in season, is to attend a football match in England. I see them on TV, you know, most Saturdays, you know, they finally broadcast them here at home. So we will have to go back when it's football season. Spend more time there. Yeah. And then some other things that could be fun to see if you've got the time and connected to Beatle history. If you know the songs Strawberry Field and Penny Lane, both of those have their origins in Liverpool. So the wrought iron scarlet gates of strawberry field you're going to find those in liverpool and then the uh the famous penny lane you can walk down that area as well which gave inspiration to paul mccartney's song of the same name there's also if you're interested in art there is a tate liverpool art gallery and museum which houses some pretty magnificent art so if that's your interest uh, you might want to take the time to see that. Yeah. So I think as a tourist, you could probably spend you know several days in Liverpool. There's lots to see. I'm kind of surprised that we saw and did as much as we did, given that we were only there for part of one day and part of another. So did get a nice flavor of Liverpool. But if we ever make our way back there, there would be more new things to see. Well, we'd like to go back, I think. We would love to go back. But also, the history of Liverpool is so diverse. There is a huge Irish immigration that came through there. So with that in mind, I would be interested in going back to kind of look at maybe some archives that have to do with emigration or immigration in and out of Liverpool in regards to the Irish community. Yeah, because I think you've got some history 100 mm-hmm. years ago that probably would have that connection. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm having trouble finding that connection no. in Ireland because a lot of the records are gone. Okay, I was going to say, well, we have to go back. We so, have to go back. Yeah, we'll have to hunt. Mm-hmm. That's right. So if you're somebody who has any kind of family history connected to the Irish or as we can see the young Polish boys that made their way through Liverpool or there's a huge Chinese history there. All kinds of backgrounds that came through those There's tons of backgrounds. So it would be a great place for anybody that is interested in that family history. During World War II alone, there was 4.7 million troops that passed through Liverpool. So you think about you know those 4.7 million and the tentacles to family members who are alive today mm-hmm. in daughters and sons and grandchildren. There's millions of people out there who have, and they may not know it, who have some kind of connectivity to the town of Liverpool. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's always fun, I think, to look at your family history, not only to know where your family originated from, 
but what was their life journey and where did they pass through on planet Earth? And for many of us and many of you, you may find that part of the journey may have come through this town. And that alone, I think, is ample reason to come and visit this great Mm -hmm. city. Or if you're a huge Beatle fan, because there is plenty of history of the Beatles there. Yeah, so I think that would just about capture everybody. So everybody (laughs) everybody should go to Liverpool. This was the last city that we would visit in full on our UK trip. Again, we had one more, which was Manchester, but that was just so we could get on a plane to get back home. As you mentioned, we walked you know 12 miles in the city, saw a lot of several great museums, saw some of that Beatles history, had a great time here. And then for me personally, you know, it was just a chance to trace back some family histories. My dad arrived in Liverpool at roughly the age of, it was either 13 or 14. When he left, he was 20 years old. And I've heard about his stories when I grew up. And 71 years later, you know, we were standing at the docks mm-hmm. where he had that journey. So that mm-hmm. was that, that was a nice end cap on our UK trip. Mm-hmm. And with that, we said goodbye to Liverpool. We would hop on a train to go to Manchester. Mm-hmm. And this'll, pretty much do it for our in-depth exploration of English cities, English places. I think we might have one more episode that we're going to do some just quick highlights. So when we're back with you next time, I believe that that is our plan. Mm -hmm. And if that's not the plan, we have plenty other places to take you. Many stories. Many of our journeys across the world that we've visited. We've, we've been to a few places and we'd like to help you out. If you would like to listen to our podcast at theplaceswherewego.com, uh, we welcome you and hope that this is helpful. Tell a friend. Mm-hmm. Bye for now. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at the places where we go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.